Yo guys, welcome in to Rover Sports and we are now live and uh can I get this this podcast up and running here. So apologies, but now we are all set and we are all good to go. Welcome in guys to Rover Sports. The show, the program and we are live now um pretty much breaking everything down in the world of sports and in pop culture because a lot of us just got done watching the Academy Awards and Parasite ends up winning the best film of this year. So Parasite ends up winning uh, best film of the year of the season. So congratulations to Parasite and congratulations to that movie. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was well done. The the ending was certainly surprising uh, for anybody out there who hasn't seen it. Uh, just go on on demand. Your local theater is going to is going to have the movie, and it's worth your time. It's a very interesting plot. Um, a lot of unexpected turns. And I fought the Academy Awards tonight. I mean, Will Ferrell came out there tonight. Brad Pitt won for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, also an entertaining movie. Uh, it just happened early this year, the Oscars. It happened early February. There wasn't really a host. The lead-up wasn't as great as it has been. Like I liked when Billy Crystal did the Academy Awards. So, um, But I'm going to talk a lot today about the XFL and we're going to talk a lot about college basketball. The biggest story in sports, and I'll lead with this, is the premiere of the new league, and it's also UNC Duke. So I'm going to start with the premiere of the XFL. We have a lot of football fans here that might have watched the XFL that want to hear my opinion on the new league, the XFL. So the first game that I ended up watching I watched excerpts of a lot of these games, but the first game I was really able to see was the D.C. Defenders going against uh, Seattle um, in, in the first game. I think it might have been the Dragons of Seattle. And it was Cardale Jones. It was this guy named Ross, who's a kick returner for the Redskins. He was out there. And so the D.C. Defenders ended up winning this game. Uh, that that's the first thing that ended up happening. But do I like the XFL? Do I not, I like the new league? I like some of the quarterbacks. I mean, the quarterback is is what's going to attract me to the league. If you have a quarterback that is going to be like a name brand guy or or a Donnell Pump three who's a running back, or maybe it's John Ross, a receiver for the Bengals who ends up you know, getting cut, and even though John Ross isn't in the league, maybe it's a, a guy that was, was a prevalent college football player. And this, this definitely seems like a minor league. So the one thing is the players aren't too – they aren't too flashy of names. You know, it's not like they're bringing in college talent like they're getting Trevor Lawrence. So if they had can't-miss players, I think I would schedule the time around the, the XFL. But, but the thing I like is that it's on big network television. So the AAF was on the NFL Network. It premiered on CBS, so Turner was able to have access to it. But 
the the uh, the 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 product of the um, the product of the XFL, um, the product of the XFL. It, it's actually it's actually not awful. The officiating in the XFL, everybody's mic'd up. I like the sideline interview aspect that that creates some more creativity. So the league, you know, the sideline reporters very integrated into the game. These guys aren't making too much money. So you're able to hear them mic'd up and these guys like it isn't as important as maybe the NFL. So you're able to hear the coaches and everybody's agreed because they are actually getting paid. So everybody just agrees to be mic'd up. And, and I like that. The more mics, usually the better. You know, even the Sam Darnold game, it didn't work out for him, the seeing ghost things. But at the same time, I mean, it creates some interest in, in the product and in the league. So uh, the fact that the, that the quarterbacks, I enjoyed hearing all the complexities of the calls. I like the 25-second clock. The kickoffs are very innovative, how people are not getting hurt, and you do see more kickoffs. So I really do like it. And the the two-point conversions, the 25-second clock, you're seeing more football. Now, the product, I mean, these guys aren't as talented as NFL guys, and they're not even as marketable. I mean, the offense is downright bad at a lot of points. Let's just call it how it is. The offense is poor. Um... They're in big markets, but the thing I do really like about this is, again, it's on big-time TV. Um, the times of these games are very, very good, so you're not exactly fighting with prime time. You got 2 o'clock on Saturday, 2 o'clock on Sunday, 5 o'clock on Sunday is also a really good time. It, it's simple. I believe that there's only... Uh, eight teams in this league, so you're going to get familiar with each of the players. And I actually like that they don't have a ton of teams at the moment because you can kind of identify and you can kind of get used to each player. The XFL, though, it's not like I'm carving out time to watch it, but if I'm at home or I'm somewhere and there's a TV, you can put on the XFL. One thing that I think it can do better is I'd like to see incorporated gambling. So it, they do address gambling a little bit, like the, the pre-line, but there should be live betting lines, and it should you know tell us the live lines. So, for example, today New York Guardians were kicking the crap out of the uh, team that was out of uh, Tampa, the, the Vipers, and Jerry Glanville's on the team. So there are some noticeable coaches like Bob Stoops, Jerry Glanville, Kevin Gilbride. Um, there are some coaches that you that you know about. But the one thing I'd like is if we get some actual, you know, in-game lines, you know, telling us, oh, well, the, the Guardians are rocking now. You can get them at plus money to win. And maybe even shorten the quarters of play. Um, maybe make it like 13 minutes uh, just to up the antes. I really like the way that some of these teams can come back, you know, with the three-point conversions. And the league just isn't absolutely awful. It's, it's all about the football. You hear the referee product. You know, you hear the ref up in the booth, and it's very transparent. So the best part is that they interview people on the sidelines. Uh, they get great crowd shots. It's a looser format. 
Um, and, and the broadcasts have been good. I mean, you got Steve Levy, you know, Greg McElroy, Greg Olson's a very good color commentator, Pat McAfee, Joey Galloway. So you have some fun uh, broadcasters that are kind of getting their chance uh, with this league and, and sideline reporters, and it, and it gives you more football. But it's not it, – the old XFL might have even been more entertaining – you know, even though it was more dangerous and it's just kind of, it's exactly what it is. It's kind of minor league football, but you know what? I mean, if you're, if you're saying that, if, if you're, if you're around, I think I am going to watch this league and, 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 and I just love the game of football. So I, I was finding myself, you know, excited to see what these teams were going to do. It was very popular on social media. Uh, they, they are playing at big stadiums, like uh, the, so. So the stadiums aren't sold out, but it is in big markets, and the fact that it's prime time on big network television, I mean, that is certainly a key uh, for for this XFL. So I think that uh, that a lot of people liked it. I'd say I liked it. I'm not obsessed with the product. Uh, it would be, it would be very interesting if maybe, you know, if I was, if like Davis Webb was playing and I really liked him as a quarterback, um, and, and he could play or how cool would it be if after two years, uh, of, of football, you can pay off a college kid who's entering his junior year to play in the XFL. I mean, now would be cool, but it's just a wintertime league. If there's no great college basketball, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on. Um, but it's going to take a lot for me to really like, you know, record the games or get super stoked about it. But again, on Sunday afternoon, when most of the college basketball is on Saturday, there is a window right now. There is a sweet spot for this league. There is a sweet spot and it debuted at a pretty good time. Actually, if this league went out in May. I think that this league would have actually killed if it went out in May. Now, I know you have NBA playoff basketball, but you're going to get a little bit of March Madness. You're going to get the Masters, so you're still going to get some, some of that. But maybe after the Masters and in the April, before the NFL draft, you might actually get some weekends uh, where, where this league will be good. And, and the fact that it's eight, it's eight leagues or it's, eight, or it's eight teams, you can gamble on this league, it's football, and it's not a completely atrocious product. And I think it's better than the AAF just because it's more interesting with the sideline cams, it being on bigger TV. The access of the mic'd up is my favorite part the kickoffs, the three-point conversions. There's enough things that will that will keep you attached to this league. Uh, having it in bigger markets, I, I do like Salt Lake City, but at the same time, I mean, I do think that the, that the bigger markets maybe will attract it a little bit more. And the interesting thing about this league is that it's not trying to really compete with the NFL. I mean, these guys, I mean, they, they might be famous. Like if Cardale Jones plays for the D.C. Defenders for like five more years and the fact that like the D.C. Defenders are maybe even more entertaining than the Redskins, people will remember you if you do play in the XFL. It's a tremendous platform on national TV. It's not like it's on the NFL network. So it is on big TV and people will stumble across this football. ESPN, ABC and Fox. So it's a pretty cool deal. 
And um, I think that the league is off to, you know, in week one to a decent, decent start. I think it's about as good as you could do for a football league. The, the way it could separate is, you know, creating more rivalries. Um, may, and it's all about maybe the players, if the players really improve talent-wise. But, but you're never going to – I like that it's not competing with the NFL and college football. It's a supplemental kind of league. And, again, I, I've watched a lot of football this year, so it's not like I completely miss the sport entirely. Um, but at the same time, I think it's nice to have. I'm not going to complain about it one bit. The league is interesting. The The commentators are good. Greg Olson's good commentator, Pat McAfee. Overall, mostly positives from this league. The, the, the football isn't exceptional, but it's a decent, decent product so far. And it's, and it's football. And, I mean, it is similar to AAF. It's just a little bit better, a little bit more money behind it. And we'll see. It seems like a league that can last about four years. It seems like a league with staying power. It seems like a league with staying power. It's not too funny, not too gimmicky, but um, it's entertaining enough to get you by the time. Let's talk a little bit about UNC and Duke, a absolutely wild game in Chapel Hill. I haven't been watching a lot of North Carolina uh, just because North Carolina is a blue blood, but also without Cole Anthony, they haven't been the same team, and they've really struggled this year uh, to, to stack any kind of wins together with Roy Williams and with that basketball team. And, and the thing is about the North Carolina Tar Heels is that, you know, on any given day, you could still beat a really good team. And they had Duke on the ropes. And in college basketball this year, you know, with, with guys going uh, outside of the United States, you, you have guys going to um, you have guys going to Australia to play basketball like the, the Lonzo Balls brother and also uh, R.J. Hampton and. It just seems like the product is really watered down, you know, after Zion left, after the Virginia kids left. So there isn't uh, the type of competition that it was last year in college basketball. But that's still exciting because, you know, the mid-majors can, can maybe make some noise in this March or maybe be higher ranked. Uh, but, but the incredible thing about the North Carolina collapse is just like Duke hit a lot of threes with the 30-second shot clock. It just seemed like UNC, they couldn't hit two free throws when they went to the line. And they also just gave up so many easy, uncontested layups at the other end. So their defense was just atrocious down the stretch. So they were just planning on winning, and they didn't even contest layups at the rim. They didn't even block out. They were so guarding against the three that Duke just kept, you know, coming back with little layups and little layups. But the incredible play, if you haven't seen it by now, is that Duke down by two points. Tyus Jones has only one more free throw. It's five seconds left, and uh, it's actually Trey Jones. Uh, the brother of Tyus Jones is Trey, and he's a decent player. Now, I, I don't think that Trey Jones is going to come into the NBA and absolutely rock the NBA, but I think he could be a rotation guard. He needs to get better at shooting the three. He's not a prolific shooter, but he's he's a, he's a good he's a very good defender. He's smart, and he has all the intangibles that Tyus had. Uh, all the intangibles are great kid, and most of the Duke kids are really smart kids. But Ty, but Trey Jones is is, a, is an incredible worker, 
and and John Shire, who might take over for Coach K when you know Coach K decides to retire. John Shire works with these kids a lot, and the incredible thing about Trey Jones' last play was how he took the ball and how he shot it almost like like I used to shoot it in third grade with your elbows out, and he just absolutely launched it at the front of the rim. And, and he practices this shot every single day in practice. And the ball ricocheted off the front of the rim, didn't hit anything but the front of the rim, and it was going at like at 90 miles per hour. It had no chance of going in. Trey Jones then, get, then, then goes back. He happens to retrieve the basketball way outside the three-point line as it ricochets to the right, doesn't go out of bounds at all, hits the front of the rim perfectly, and there's a lot of chance that in this game it can hit the, the rim, it can hit the backboard. Uh, the way Trey Jones threw it, it's almost like he chucked it. There's almost no way. There's almost no way that the basketball would. There's almost no way that the basketball would, you know, even stay in bounds. And, and that's what made this so incredible. Is that the ball just stayed in bounds and he played it perfectly? And it's one of those scenarios that. You know, even though he practices this this scenario, it's just incredible that that it happened to, to work uh, because of the way how hard he threw that 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 uh, basketball, and it went off it went off the front of the rim. He happened to retrieve it, and then he rose up and hit a 19 foot shot in between a couple of defenders. He had to dribble. Dribble was getting mauled, threw up a shot, leaning to his left. It's one of the clutchest shots in the history of college basketball. Now, it's 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 one that you remember like Austin Rivers beating North Carolina. And this wasn't like Tyler Hansborough, Marvin Williams. It's not like Ty Lawson or even Raymond Felton is playing at North Carolina anymore. It's not even like you have elite-level Vince Carter, Antoine Jameson-like talent. You don't have incredible wing talent at North Carolina. It's not even like the Joe Barry teams of a couple of years ago. You, you remember Marcus Page, or I'm trying to think back to the elite North Carolina teams. I know Psycho T was an elite-level college uh, basketball player um, uh, for, for North Carolina. And I'm trying to think. I mean, you had Luke May, so you had some good, some good wings, uh, and then guys that would kind of go on to have decent NBA careers. But Duke has had legend. Duke has had really good NBA talent. I mean, Jason Tatum, uh, Jaleel Okafor. He was a great college player. You remember the Tyus Jones team, Justice Winslow, Grayson Allen. So you remember a lot more recently of the Duke guys like Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Jabari Parker. Uh, they, there were a lot of six, Luke Kennard. There were a lot of Duke guys that are now playing in the league, but North Carolina guys a little more, a little tougher uh, to remember. Uh, they had Kennedy Meeks. They had they had big guys. I remember Henson. They also had another big guy along with Kennedy Meeks that was able to kind of win that championship over Gonzaga um, a couple of years ago. But anyway. Um, Trey Jones able to hit the shot. They go to overtime. North Carolina makes more mistakes. The refs kind of miss a big foul call on North Carolina, but the refs also in the game had some questionable calls against Duke 
down the stretch. So I'm not blaming the refs. North Carolina's free throw shooting was terrible. They're a 10 and 12 team. They have, they've lost seven straight games in the ACC. It's been a really tough year for Roy Williams. The cupboard is completely bare at North Carolina. And for Duke, it was a phenomenal comeback. And then they go to the line again. Um, and Trey Jones misses a free throw. And again, Trey Jones gets the ball off of a miss. Again, they can't box out. Just like the first time UNC fails to box out, UNC has no guys that could go up and get a rebound. No great players that can get a rebound. And Vernon Carey was fouled out. But then this guy named uh, Wendell Moore happened to catch catch the basketball of Trey Jones, put it up uh, kind of – it was a airballed shot, tip in – at the buzzer, two buzzer-beating shots for Duke to come down from 13 points with four minutes to go um, at Chapel Hill in the Dean Dome. Really a sensational win, and for, for really for Trey Jones, one of the faces of college basketball, it was just an absolutely huge win. It's one that, that everybody will remember for, from Duke, and if you're there at North Carolina – the, the nightmare season just continues. You thought you'd have one bright spot, beating Duke, putting them down a big level, laying down a big win, and uh, and and you couldn't even you couldn't even deliver up thirteen at the Dean Dome. You couldn't even win that game. Other news from around college basketball. Around college basketball. You had Seton Hall Pirates uh, get a huge win at Villanova. Villanova's lost three straight games. They had Kamar Baldwin, the lefty from Butler, a really talented player. Springy, can shoot the ball. He hits a game winner at Hinkle to beat Villanova. Creighton Blue Jays, uh, a game I attended, Greg McDermott's team has about four really solid guards and Christian Bishop and Denzel Mahoney. They can really score it. They beat Villanova. And then Seton Hall, Mamish Gailis Vili comes back. Miles Powell is a great, great basketball player. And Miles Powell is probably the player of the year, um, at least in the Big East Conference. He's going to be up there with Peyton Pritchard, with OB at Dayton. Uh, I think that Miles Powell might just be the best player I've seen in all of college basketball. Uh, and, and Seton Hall get, gets a win in, in Philly at Nova for the first time since 1994, so 25 years, the same age I was born uh, just a couple of months earlier. 25 years, they haven't won in Philly. Incredible for Miles Powell in the senior class and Kevin Willard. This looks like a Final Four team in the Seton Hall Pirates. Another team that is surging right now is the Houston Cougars. They got a good team with Kelvin Sampson, a team that was a Tyler Hero shot away uh, from going to the Elite Eight pretty much a couple of years. I think that Jordan Poole ended up beating Kelvin Sampson's team when they had Rob Gray, who was a phenomenal player. Uh, Jordan Poole, maybe that was the round of 32, but Houston – has been a team that has been on the doorstep of making a Final Four lately in the last couple of years or getting to an Elite Eight to Sweet 16. So it ends up that 
Houston beat Wichita State today. Last I checked, they were up 30 with eight minutes to go. They're just a physical team. They guard you. They can get into the paint. They hit the paint every time. Wichita State's just, I'm a big Shocker fan. I really love Greg Marshall. I've loved this program. Um, you know, they had Landry Shamat, Connor Frankamp, of course, Ron Baker, and Fred Van Leet, Carl Hall. Uh, you know, they've had Kyles, David Kyles come out of there. Uh, you know, Garrett Sturts. You go way back to Malcolm Armstead. And they've had little guards like Malcolm Armstead, I think, was a lefty. Um, that, that was really exciting to watch. And then Joe Ragland was the year before with uh, with, uh, with Torrey Murray. I mean, they've just had so many fun players come out of Wichita. I mean, the year they made the Final Four, they had Clay Anthony Early, who was the top-rated Juco college basketball player. And for Wichita State lately, uh, I think they're going to get in the tournament as like a 10 or 11, but it's been kind of a tough transition to the American. They have Stevenson who can shoot it. Austin Reeves ends up leaving. And, you know, Greg Marshall's styles aren't for everybody. And you got to be a team that's very willing to fight. And the year before, they had Landry Shamat when he was a freshman, and they, they took Kentucky in the round of 64 uh, or the round of 32 with um, Connor Frankamp, you know, with, with some of these guys like Zach Brown, they took, you know, they, they were they were able to to beat Dayton one year in the tournament, get to the round of 32. Then they had the year with Kentucky, you know, the year where they were undefeated with Freddie Van Leet. So they just haven't had the same kind of class. But I think they're bringing in a lot of young kids right now, kind of a young team it seems. And uh, just just kind of needs to build uh, North Northern Iowa, though, in the Missouri Valley. That's a team that is really fun to watch. Ben Jacobson's. I mean, Northern Iowa is another one of my favorites. And what you and I is doing right now, I think they've won six straight after they lose at SIU. You and I, the king of the valley and a couple more wins. And they're probably going to get an auto bid, even if they don't win Arch Madness. And it's looking like the real competition is going to be Loyola at Arch Madness. Porter Moser has a great defense. SIU will be a challenge at Arch Madness. Then you look around the conference at some of the tough teams. I mean, Missouri State has just taken a downward spiral. But the SIU Salukis, it has been amazing what SIU has done lately. Indiana State loses a game at at uh, Illinois State. So Indiana State's also going to be a top four seed. And uh, and Coach Lansing has a pretty good team this year. They have key. They have some guys that can defend. They have some seniors that are good basketball players. But you and I with A.J. Green, you have Kimmins off the bench, Antoine Kimmins from Minnesota, and then you have Trey Burhow, who can really shoot the basketball. Isaiah Brown, this is a really good defensive team, kind of a guard-oriented team. But then down low, you have Austin Fife, and then the big guy from Minnesota his name is escaping me. It's Dahl. Um, so you and I, you know, you you have you have AJ, you have Trey Burhouse, Spencer Haldeman. It's a really really fun team uh, to to watch. And AJ is just a superstar. Coach's son, kind of like a Dougie McDermott in the Valley. Probably he is going to be 
the Valley player of the year. He's like averaging 21 points. He's 6'4". He's going to play in summer leagues. He's going to make a ton of money overseas. Or he might even play in the G League, maybe get an NBA roster spot. That's how good A.J. Green is. Going to be a legend and already is kind of building an incredible career at Northern Iowa. So this is a team with Ben Jacobson. If they get some of the right matchups, A.J. Green's the type of guy that can lead this team with Holdeman being a senior, with Burhow, with Isaiah Brown, with just playing together. This is a team that's only lost three games, one game being at SIU, another one being at Illinois State. Again, a tough game to play right after New Year's, first game of the conference season. And then they were up double digits on West Virginia. West Virginia is a pretty good team. That was down in, I think, Cancun, Mexico. They had a great chance to win that game, got a terrible call. You and I got a brutal call at the end of regulation on Spencer Haldeman, which, you know, ended up really derailing the Panthers of winning that game because it, it was a play where, you know, a guy just fell on his back. They, they call a flagrant. Uh, one on Spencer Haldeman when the game was essentially tied against West Virginia, so a terrible refereed play. Uh, so I just hope you and I maybe even goes to Arch Madness. As a Valley fan, it'd be nice to see the Salukis maybe win Arch Madness and get you and I and Southern Illinois both into the dance. I want to see two Valley teams dance if possible. And SIU, I mean, this is just an incredible job by uh, Mullins, their coach um, of SIU. I mean, Marcus Damask is basically my favorite player in college. One of my favorite players in college basketball. He's from a small town in the middle of Wisconsin. But this guy's 6'6". He's taller than A.J. Green. He can back down. He can hit shots inside. You have Barrett Benson, uh, experienced, incredible leader, a guy could hit threes outside, guy could get inside, kind of like an Al Horford type, just a really fun player, has the throw, has the hair, and Barrett Benson from, from Northwestern just brings that experience, that toughness, and then you have, I believe his name is, uh, you, have, you have the guy McGill, I think it's Anthony McGill, he's a guy that could absolutely light it up you know, shooting shooting threes, and he's a guy that'll launch those high-arcing threes. So he's a little guy, shoots the three ball really well. So Southern Illinois, another team to watch for in the Valley. And this is a team that, that is first year of Coach, uh, of Coach Mullins. Uh, for, I think it's Rob Mullins. I'll find you the name right now. Give me one second. It's Brian Mullins, and SIU had a Leitner-like play, win at the horn. SIU, I mean, they were a team that was under 500 once the Valley began. Ken Palm picked them to finish second to last in the freaking Valley, like like where Evansville was going. And um, 
this win is is absolutely incredible for for SIU. They were able to beat Missouri State. Dana Ford's team finally played pretty tough. They have Prim inside. They have a couple of guys that can score it. Uh, Missouri State underachieving, inconsistent there with Dana in year two, even though they've recruited really well. Uh, but that's been Missouri State. So that's kind of the state of college basketball. Uh, San Diego State, Dayton still rolling. Maybe those guys will be two seeds um, on that line. Uh, it'd be fun to see if Dayton or SDSU can maybe get a one seed if they can, if they, if SDSU, San Diego State can kind of run the table. Kentucky kind of coming in the form. Kansas is going to be tough, but I really think that Kentucky. Uh, they they look like an impressive team right now. They're they're starting to hum and they're they're starting to play pretty well. It is a wide open tournament. Maybe Bill Self can 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 eventually win this thing. Seton Hall is a team with Miles Powell that can win the entire tournament. Louisville's a team uh, that that'll compete. Florida State is not a bad basketball team either. Uh, it's it's a year where there's a lot of teams that are down. But I think it makes it fun because you could get uh, like a like a mid major come out there and, and go to the end of the tournament. So uh, college is in full swing. Let me give you some trade deadline thoughts. I'll give you guys. I saw Andrew Wiggins last night. I, I really think too. Furkan Korkmaz deserves a shout out. Two games over thirty points for Furkan. He's absolutely dealing as of late. He's a bit. He he's really a, like a, a, a. He he's ascended in a couple of games. He's knocking down the three now. He's not that good at dribbling, so maybe it's not applicable to the playoffs. But he's got to keep this confidence up if he's going to keep rolling. Sixers beat Memphis and the Bulls. They needed to do that. The Sixers are tremendous at home. I don't. I don't. Even, I can't even remember the last home game they've lost. They maybe only lost two home games in the entire stretch of games. Uh, the Warriors getting Andrew Wiggins, paying him $30 million. I did a podcast the other day. I actually liked what Golden State did. You know, they turned Kevin Durant uh, into D'Angelo Russell. Russell's not going to fit their team. He's not a good enough defender. He's too much like Steph Curry. He can't really move without the ball that well. And I just think that um, – I just think Wiggins is going to fit the team more, but Wiggins is more of like a six-man Andre Iguodala type of guy, but he's not even like Iggy in that he's he's way too hesitant, and he needs to develop that killer instinct, and that's what Steve Kerr needs to do with Andrew Wiggins. So Wiggins needs to get that killer instinct in order for Andrew to roll. And even at the end of last night, he's playing out there with like Jordan Poole, Eric Paschal, He's playing with just a bunch of nobodies on Golden State, the worst team record-wise in the league, and he won't even take the chances at, at shooting or at winning. He's deferring to these absolute scrubs, so he's always nervous. He doesn't want the ball down the stretch. He's not willing to take games into his own hands, and it's not just the pressure of playing in a big market. He won't even do this at Minnesota. He won't even take the last shot or put in the extra work, and he's kind of... He doesn't have that alpha mentality at the end of the game, and that was really concerning because I looked at Wiggins. I'm like 22 points. I know what Andrew did out of Kansas. I've watched him a little bit, but I don't watch a ton of Wolves games. And just seeing him on Golden State in this light, it was certainly concerning uh, just, just seeing his inability 
to score the basketball or just seeing his, his, his want to at the end of the game. It's a six-point game against the Lakers, and he can't and he's invisible. He's he he doesn't want any part of, of trying to hit a clutch shot. He wants no part. Uh, he doesn't want to take the blame at all. He's scared of failing. That's the thing about Andrew Wiggins, scared of failing. And I think he could be a really good player. And I, I don't think Russell is this magical player for the uh, for the Wolves. Um, they also give up a first-rounder. Um, I think that the Warriors are going to be fine with Wiggins. And and and, and for, for the Wolves with D'Lo, it is a little bit exciting, actually. The Wolves end up winning a big game. So the Wolves doing fine. The uh, the Pistons, I like that they keep Christian Wood and Luke Kennard, but they should have cut Reggie Jackson. Memphis doing all right. They get they get Winslow, but they also have to give up Solomon Hill. Um, the Heat giving up Winslow, but but acquiring like Iguodala, um, Crowder, and Solomon Hill. I really like that move, but the Heat, Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero have been missing a lot of games. They've just been sucking on the road lately. They lost at the Kings and at Portland. So they, they've been struggling as of late. You know, Boston's still going pretty strong. If Boston would have got Christian Wood, that would have been a tremendous move. Indiana staying pretty strong. I just think that with Embiid, the Sixers are not going to be that good. The Sixers should have tried to trade Embiid, you know, when they could have because, you know, I look at Embiid and, you know, even though Embiid plays with a ton of passion, I just don't think he's long for this league. I mean, I just think he gets hurt too much. His conditioning isn't that good. He's not an elite shooter. He's a big guy. He's going to he's gonna turn into Andre Drummond in just a couple of years you got to get the most out of MB this year, and then you got to turn the reins over to Ben Simmons. There's already a building hostility with Simmons, with MB. Simmons is very quiet. They're not transparent. They're not really friends off the floor, and there's growing resentment there, multiple reports of growing resentment, and I, and I get it. I mean, the process, Brett Brown, uh, Jimmy Butler, Shamat, uh, the disappointment of losing the Boston, the disappointment of last year's emotional game with Kawhi Leonard, uh, all the expectations. You get Al Horford, you expect to, to win the conference, you still have Brett Brown, and you're around the sixth seed in an Eastern Conference that's better than you expected, but still... Um, this Sixers thing has been disappointing, but it weighs mentally on a guy like Embiid with this fan base that's an ever-restless kind of fan base that's still getting over the process. This isn't a small market, you know, where Embiid can continue to play, continue to pad stats, can kind of live out like a Detroit or a Minnesota. This is Philadelphia, and eventually the other shoe's going to drop Brett's going to end up getting fired at the end, and I believe that Embiid will go, and this will be a Ben Simmons team, and I think it'll be the best for everybody, kind of rip the Band-Aid off. I think Embiid is like the, the Alex Smith of Philadelphia, and then once Ben Simmons gets a hold of this team, you spread him around with more shooters like Furkan. This team is absolutely going to roll offensively. It's going to be like another Milwaukee Bucks. And also, let's see how Giannis gets along. Um, I think that the Greek freak in Miami is a very real possibility with Pat Riley, with Eric Spolstra. Um, I really think that that in Miami, Jimmy Butler 2021, you have the Greek freak Jimmy Butler 
Bam Adebayo, this could be something to, to watch for All-Star Weekend in the NBA. But overall, the trade deadline, like, do I really have losers of the deadline? Were there really trades that I hated? I mean, Philly didn't do that much to, uh, to impress. So, I mean, Miami did fine. Uh, Memphis waving waiters was a really smart move. They get Justice Winslow, but Winslow's out the remainder of the year, so that kind of puts a damper on their playoff hopes. Ah, man, they're taking a risk with Winslow, um, and they're giving away, you know, Solomon, uh, Solomon Hill. They're giving away Jay Crowder. Other trades that went down, you know, the Timberwolves, I still don't know if they're going to be great, but they're the Timberwolves anyway. They've, they've been awful for many, many years. Golden State got the most that they could for D'Lo. Um, I, I, maybe they could have traded D'Lo to the Heat for, like, Tyler Hero and, and, and some picks, but I'm sure they called around. Um, but they get Andrew Wiggins, and Wiggins is exciting. So I'm not as down on Golden State. I think Golden State's actually building something good. The deadline was fine. There were some fun NBA moves. Andre Drummond just gets moved for nothing. Detroit just backing out of that contract. I don't know what Cleveland is doing. So Cleveland be a team that I that I just really don't know what they're doing. And um, otherwise, it was fun between Golden State and the Wolves. That, that was the big, you know, NBA uh, trade deadline piece. And it's really up to Kerr and Draymond. I really think that there's a chance that these guys get it right in Golden State. So I want to thank you guys for, uh, for coming on the show or for, for listening today. A little XFL, little college basketball, talked a little bit about um the nba at, at the tail end of the show um so it was fun it, it, it is fun coming on here doing this podcast we'll try to get a guest on you know within the next couple of weeks but anyway guys it has been enjoyable thank you all for listening to rover sports subscribe give a review appreciate y'all have a great night